Time to talk to World Gamers. Carlos Alberto Diego. We're in A-League final season and uh, he's here ready to talk shop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where do we start, Francis? Because... I think we should start with Melbourne City. Yeah, Let's wind it back to Sunday night because it was a no-show and uh, Perth already had a night out. Here he goes. This is Joe Kianese. Can he fire on goal? It does! And it's 2-0! And the glory are in dreamland. Kenny Lowe bouncing up and down on the sideline. They're away and City have a mountain to climb. It was rank. 2-0 yeah. loss at home. A credit Perth glory. All our listeners on the ESPN app listening in Perth. They were fantastic. Came with a game plan. Really solid at the back. Two big hocking centre-backs that took no rubbish from anyone. <laughs> And on the break, they had uh, had cut through, and they got the result. But Melbourne City should have had a response, even if they didn't win that game. Yeah, they needed to they needed to actually put a case to Perth Glory, and at no stage in that ninety minutes did they do it. Absolute waste of everyone's time turning up there on Sunday night. And it's not like Perth haven't come to Melbourne and done that before. They've done that exactly before, and uh, and they've just come with their strategy. And City, and I keep on keep on getting people within the camp telling us over the last couple of weeks, we're so talented. I mean, Luke Bratton even came out and said that this Melbourne City squad is more talented than the Brisbane squads he played with that won things under Ange. I mean, really, it's just ridiculous talking about talent when you're dishing up you know, such a lame performance as they did on the weekend with so much to off, uh, so much um, you know, um, you know, to gain by winning that, and also so much to prove. So, you know, the question I ask is, you know, even listening to Mike Valkanis's, uh press conference at the end of the game where he was basically getting it down to the quality of players and the type of players, not the quality so much, but the, the attitude and the mentality of players. But, Francis, I don't know, you've been around sport for a long time. When you get a collective and they produce that more often than not in over a 15-game stint under the same coaching team, for me, it's a... You know, if there's something wrong with the collective, whether it's a resilience issue, whether it's a tactical issue, that's got to point to the coaching staff. And I, and I, Mike Valkans is a lovely guy. Joe Montemuro, Joe Pallas, all lovely guys. But why would Melbourne City, with the money they've got through the City Group, when John Van Skip uh, went moved on, why would they give that? team with, you know, $9 million worth of wages paid. It's probably the most expensive team put together in the A-League ever. Why would they give, give, why do they give that to a, a group of coaches who uh, haven't got a record at that level? Why would they do that? Well, I can understand their argument in a way, and you can join the conversation 94291116 if you're a City fan or you're watching on the weekend and you want to talk A-League finals, give us a call. Because they probably believe in their ability to nurture a coach, give them the, the resources to be their best, and a philosophy of rewarding from within. And I like that about Melbourne City, that they do actually back their people. So for that, for that, in that case, you know, that's something I do think is admirable about them. It hasn't worked out on this occasion. Uh, but I think it's also a bit like the Nathan Buckley situation. A bit goes back to the players. And they needed to find uh, some internal resilience on after halftime. Yep. on Sunday when they were 2-0 down and really take it to the glory. And they barely registered a shot on goal. Yeah. And and it was just, and in fact, they had two shots on target for the entire game mm. I, and I 60% just, of the possession. Yeah, I, look, I, I go back to when they hired John Aloisi, for example. Uh, a guy who's got a, a celebrated career as a socceroo and played all over the world doesn't necessarily make him a good coach at that point in time with the lack of experience he had. Uh, they, they found themselves with a, a guy who was learning on the job. In many respects, I think, you know, the, the coaching staff that, that came after John Van Skip probably did the same thing. And this is, these guys might turn up and be terrific coaches down the track, but I thought it was a hell of a risk 
with that team after winning the FFA Cup, with the momentum they, they really would have been building. Why? I mean, this, this club, even for a six-month period, because the word is they couldn't get who they wanted uh, at that point in time because of you know, contractual situations with the person overseas or whatever it may be, that decided with, to go with the guys who already knew the players. In theory, I understand the, 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 the thoughts around it, but a club that just won the FFA Cup uh, needed to make a state, always continuously needed to make a statement. They could have gone out and got, got Gus Hinnick for six months, as Chelsea did in the EPL before that. So, I don't know, it's a hell of a risk, and it's backfired hopelessly. And what's been coming out of the club is they're revisiting that, um, from in and around the club, rather. They're revisiting that and saying it was a mistake. Roy Hodgson was, has been yeah. there for the last couple of weeks, too, overseeing it. And- I mean that that was that, for me that that was a statement of lack of faith in in the Malkvar Cup. For me, why would you want to publicise the fact that they that you know that the coaching well, staff needed a mentor? To be fair to them, they, yeah. Hodgson wasn't available for me, and he was very keen to keep his visit low profile. So I don't think they well, were, had a press conference. Well, they, have to, they have to do something, yeah, yeah. you know. But um, yeah. I don't know. Let's go to Ange, who's out there uh, in Paran this afternoon. He's giving us a call twenty eight past two. G'day, Ange. G'day, guys. G'day. I told you last week the dog get knocked <laughs> out first week. Were you all right? Guys, the most important thing is, I know you're talking about Michael Valkanis. Now, Michael Valkanis' coaching city is a joke anyway, but we won't get there. But they had, we won't even go there. But they've got a guy on their bench in Joe Palatitas, who has coached for the last 15 years his own teams overseas, albeit they were second and third division clubs. He's probably the only coach in Australia that's got his UEFA licence and he's sitting there taking notes and we've got Monta... What's, it, what's the assistant's name? Montemuro? Yeah, uh, Joe Montemuro, yep. The guy played the game anywhere? Yeah, no, he has, no, he has... No, he's very well qualified too, Andrew. I'm not for one moment saying that these guys aren't good coaches. Uh, but to hand that team to a group of inexperienced coaches at that level who haven't won anything at that level, that at the timing of it, I thought was a bad... So I'm not ridiculing their what their, their credentials or what they bring to the table, but to give it to them at that time, I thought it was a mistake. A lost opportunity yeah. to capitalise on the momentum. Because when they did win the FFA Cup, they bullied Melbourne Victory yeah. in the semi-final, and they saw off Sydney FC in the final. Yeah. And they were, at that stage... Looking like not only very talented yep. but fairly ruthless, and you know about momentum. They've gone from ruthless to toothless yeah. in the space of six yeah. months, and the momentum that's built. And you know, I, look, I'm sure that there's you can point fingers at the players, but when it's a collective issue all the time, it just always points back to who's running the team. Matt on the road. Hello, Matt. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, boys. How are you? Well, mate. Yeah, it's interesting your uh, your point about uh, going from um, you know terrifying to toothless or whatever it is after the FA Cup because. You know, Slobo talks about uh, um, Hutchie driving the uh, the footy show Ferrari into a tree. I'm pretty sure Valcans has done exactly the same thing with City, and just as an, as an observer from afar, so it's not exactly like they're working with a shoestring budget and they've got uh, you know they, they had no no other option. They could pretty much just go and cherry pick anyone they wanted on the face of the planet, and um, they chose to effectively do nothing and all the easy thing, and uh, look where it's left them. It's, you know, they're basically rudderless for this. For the uh, the last three months, it was rudderless, and uh, even just the the situation with Luke Bratton on the weekend. Yeah. So he's been their most creative player, and he's as frustrating as hell because I don't think he works hard enough when he doesn't have the ball. But he's the he's the only player in that team at the moment that looks mm. likely uh, to actually open something up for Bruno Fornaroli, and they don't start him. No, and they're two 0 down. They bring him on after half time, trying to chase you know chase chase the wagon after it's down the road, and you 
you know, it's kicking up dust. It's but too late. You, but you asked questions. You had Luke Bratton on the bench. You had Anthony Caceres on the bench. They're the two players that are owned by Manchester City. They're on loan to Melbourne. I mean, they're two players that should be leaders in that team right now. They've been recognised. Talent ID'd by the, by the you know, talent people over at Man City, City Group. Uh, and they're sitting on the bench in an important final. I, I don't get it. And, uh, and not, again, I, that could well be the fact that they might not be training hard enough. I don't see what they do every day. But generally, um, being so disappointing for over a 15-game stretch and not playing anywhere near the way they did early on in the season, up and in, up to and including the FFA Cup, that, for me, it, it goes beyond just individual players. It's more than that. 9-4-2-9-11-16 is the number. Carlos Alberto, Diego, talking the world game. We will talk about uh, the game coming up this weekend, particularly for Melbourne victory against Brisbane Royal. I just want to mention, though, Carlos, the scheduling of last Sunday's game, 7 p.m. on a <laughs> Sunday night. Uh, terrible timing for, for Melbourne City to host that game. Wasn't helped by... The Victoria Police once again coming out, issuing a warning ahead of the game about the potential for crowd violence. And this really got on my goat this week because you will get no more polite, mm. <laughs> gentle mm. night out at a professional mm. sports game than a Melbourne City crowd. Yeah, I mean, they are the most polite <laughs> yeah. group of supporters going to sport at the moment. Mm. And if you're a par- if you're partial to the game but haven't been before or thinking yeah. about going as a casual viewer and you hear that warning, what's your reaction? Absolutely. I'm not going to do that. Absolutely. So Why they, would I take my kids to a, a dangerous situation where there's a civil war going to break out? clearly not going to be that. So it nobbles the yeah. night. It undermines any any real attempts by the clubs to try to build some, some capacity in the crowd. It was just totally unproductive and completely unnecessary. And the police yeah. presence there on Sunday wasn't as significant to suggest the police were overly concerned. Yep. Because it wasn't a night when they had, you know, teeming hordes of, of coppers out there policing the game. This, it, was a dis- it was a disgraceful yep, ap- approach to the It night. was. And, it's, and we have had, you know, uh, in bits and pieces in the media from across different sports, we've talked about this and debated it endlessly, that other sports have their moments and they're publicised, but you don't get the police warning people about behaviour beforehand so much. And, uh, and we've had this for ever since I can remember, Francis, and the perception becomes a reality in people's eyes. I've got a lot of friends who, who aren't football people but want to go and see an A-League game because I keep on battering them about it, telling them about how great it is and stuff like that. But then they'll say, you know, I'd love to go, but, you know, are my kids safe or am I safe by going there or do I have to worry where I'm sitting? And I mean, this is a perception becomes reality in people's minds. And uh, all I say to people, look, go make up your own mind. You won't, you know, you won't be killed going to an A-League game. Just go and watch and make up your own mind. Yeah, I felt this one particularly got to me because I yeah. thought it was never going to be anything other than a great night out if the game lived up to it. And if you, you know, as a neutral, watch Perth Glory run around and, and score two great goals and just boss Melbourne City, hey, it, it lived up to it. It was a final. Yeah. And people might have been encouraged to stay away because of that announcement. Georgios, how are you going there in Ivanhoe? James, how are you? Another one. Um Football enthusiast, how are you? Well, good, mate. Good, mate. Good. Just uh, the fixturing for this weekend's game. As a Melbourne victory member and family, uh, we can't get to the game because we've got kids playing Sunday afternoon. So why would they not schedule a game on a Saturday evening? Just ridiculous. Four p.m. Sunday afternoon against the Brisbane Roar. Yeah, well, look, it's, it's, that's FFA. Uh, Is they, it FFA? Yeah, and, and, and TV, sorry, TV. Yeah, host broadcaster would be. And obviously they're... All I can say is that they are the experts in these scheduling. Obviously, they're not going to worry too much about junior games being on. Uh, I really, uh, the question I ask is, 
these fixtures have been out for a long, long time. Why are state federations scheduling or allowing any games being played during A-League games, especially these finals? Uh, it, might, it might seem stupid in our eyes that they're playing on a Sunday afternoon, but Fox Sports, whether we like it or not, are bankrolling the, the sport. So if it's a matter of scheduling that's going to give them maximum bang for their buck and their investment, we've got to accept it. But why are state federations allowing any games being played uh, you know, on a Friday night, and they are. NPL games have been played on a Friday night up against A-League games. We've got, uh, you know, obviously the junior games up against uh, the victory semifinal this week. You know, I, I actually go to NPL games, and sometimes I can't go and see my friends' teams because I've got to, you know, watch an A-League game or whatever it may be. Thanks for your call, mate. George Joss, we'll uh, talk to you again soon. 9.49.11.16. We'll take a break. Uh, the lines are always open. For the Melbourne Dog Lovers Show, celebrate our best friends from May 5th to the 7th. Carlos, you have a dog. Yes, I have two dogs. Two dogs? Yes. There you go. You are a dog lover. <laughs> That's right. You'll be there at the Royal Exhibition Buildings with me on May 5th to the They're 7th. They're not disciplined enough to get there for the show, though. <laughs> I wouldn't allow them to go anywhere near other dogs or other people, as a matter of fact. Marco and Terry Wallace in on the run home today. The ox is crook. He's probably at home. You know what he's probably at home doing? He's probably fretting over Sunderland. Yeah, absolutely. That's S- what I was Sunderland thinking. Sunderland being relegated in any day now. There's this facade with Ox that he loves AFL football, but he is absolutely distraught about Sunderland. He's com- That's his problem. He's bereft. Yep. That's the word that I'd be using. Bereft. <laughs> <laughs> they play Middlesbrough tomorrow. Yeah. In a sort of a north, a northeast derby up there against the borough. Yeah, but they're going down too. So yeah, they're going to drag <laughs> it's each a relegation down. derby. Well, Newcastle yeah. coming back the other way. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see that, uh, and no guarantee that uh, uh, Benitez, uh, Rafa Benitez, is going to be their manager next year. Apparently, he, he might be playing a hard, a bit of a hard ball with his contract. I'm not sure, uh, thinking that he's got something else, maybe a bit of leverage somewhere else. But uh, uh, maybe he's if they're going to come up, they're going to have to probably. You know, spend a bit in the transfer market, and of course, uh, you know they've not always been willing to do that, have they? No, they're at St James's Park. But Brighton Hove Albion have been promoted to the Premiership. Isn't that amazing? I know. A few few people running around Melbourne, uh, an Australian players who played at Brighton over the day. David Clarkson, David Clarkson uh, of eleven sixteen SEN. Absolutely, he played there. Commentary team. He was a star down there on the south coast. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Look, you know, when I when I hear of a you know, Brighton, Albion, Brighton and Hove Albion coming just up. Just other names. Yeah, that's right. Bromwich, Albion, Brighton, Hove I, I want Preston North End to get to the EPL because I want to be able to say Preston North End. And th- I mean, this, this is a big club in the early 1900s. Huge club in the in the UK. Huge and, club for Australia too, because yeah, Joe Marston. Absolutely, he was Legend there. Of the yeah, Australian yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I would. I just want to go to the UK and visit Preston North End because I reckon their museum would be fantastic, whatever they have there. So, uh, but all these clubs have got their new stadiums. I just wish they were still playing. In the old dilapidated wooden things that they were playing in the 1900s, and just spruced it up a little bit, like some sort of like 19th century theme park yeah, for you. Yeah, I just but now they've got the new stadiums, it's not the same. Like no. Molyneux now, I'm not sure where there is Molyneux with Wolverhampton the Wanderers. The old Molyneux was just a scary place. When uh, when what the, was the uh, scariest stadium you've ever visited? I'll give you mine. You give me yours. The scariest was like the, the old oldest, Upton Park. Yeah, Upton Park. Yeah, yeah, that was the scariest for me. That's pretty um, But the one that I reckon I never visited, but I used to watch on TV all the time, was the baseball ground with Derby County with the bog. It was just, didn't matter whether it was sun out or whether it was the middle of the winter, start of the season, it was just this bog, the whole thing. And, and uh, they used to wear white too and thinking, oh, not good. Uh, yeah. The Rams. Nine forty nine eleven sixteen. If you've been to any of these stadiums in England or Europe, the ones that look the most dilapidated and run down, charming in a way, but a little bit like, oh my god, I can't believe people are still out in here. Selhurst Park. Yes. And it, I don't think it's changed much. Yeah. 
when I first went there twenty years ago. Yeah, but I, how about the old den in the old uh, the cold, yeah, the cold blow lane uh, uh, there uh, with Millwall uh, all those years ago? And I, I would think the stadium wouldn't be the problem, but the surrounds, even getting there, getting out of there safely, safely would be uh, interesting too. So. And the Dell down at South, yeah, Southampton, yeah, was a tiny yep. little place. Yeah, and I think uh, Robbie Slater he played many years there before they redid. Or was he at Saint? Was he there when the Saint Mary's was built? No, no, no. It it was, was, he was very uh, yeah. much a boy uh, with Matt Letizia yeah. running around at the, the beautifully named the Dell. That's right. And I know what, how they. I couldn't work it out, but the cameras on on the on the side where the were so high up yes. that you couldn't even see what was happening directly below them on the ground. So you only see part of the ground. So the commentator would be calling something, you couldn't even see what was going on because the cameras had to look straight down on the gantry. Yeah. <laughs> Hayden's on the road. G'day, Hayden. G'day, lads. Uh, you definitely caught my interest with the uh, scariest stadium. A lifelong uh, dream of mine was to go to. Upton Park before they knocked it down. Yep. Went went last season, yep. and uh, it's certainly uh, the getting off the train at um, Upton Park Station and walking down Green Street as a uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Australian. <laughs> I uh, made sure I didn't talk till about the thirtieth minute of the game, standing in the Bobby Moore stand. So, um, and then uh, they started singing Kylie Minogue songs on the after the game. So, um, did it, it live up to all your expectations, Hayden? <laughs> It was. Uh, being a massive AFL fan and whatnot, you walk, get off at Richmond and you walk to yeah. the G or whatnot, it is another level. And to to um, been a West Ham fan all my life in Australia and never going over there before until last year, you feel connected. It's a weird feeling, but you mm. feel connected with people, yet they're people that have been season ticket holders their whole lives. And yeah, you get off the train and there's 30,000 of one team, one colour. It's, um, it's an amazing, amazing atmosphere and feeling that which is great in Australia, we can't recreate because we've got you know, AFL supporters yeah. from both it's sides. It's just different. That's good on you, Hayden. And, and Hayden, sorry, out. Hayden, did you did you go to the Bowl and Tavern where they have I the did. yeah the they have the statue of uh, of Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, and uh, who was the third one? The third one that played uh, uh, Peters, Martin Peters, out the front of the pub because they're the three players that played in the nineteen sixty six World Cup for England, and that pub there is a very interesting pub to go to. Pre-game. Put it on your list. You can still go there before you go out to the new Olympic Stadium to watch West Ham. Uh, Thanks, Hayden. John's on the road. G'day, John. Yeah, how you going, boys? I went over in in 2000. I went to Craven Cottage. Yes. Fulham played. Down by the river. Yeah, pretty dilapidated. And uh, unfortunately, I was wearing black and white. So we weren't allowed into the local pub because I thought it was team colours. Yeah. (laughs) So we went down the Thames a bit further and went to a pub called the Prospect of Whitby. Yep. And uh, if you're over five foot... Yeah, that's probably got a duck every time. <laughs> uh, John, uh, Adam Taggart, who plays for Perth Glory, spent a bit of time there at Fulham. Unfortunately, he was injury ravaged. He was there for a couple of years. Uh, but he, when he reflects on that stadium and that whole area, he just loved it. He, he just wants to have, have another crack in England. He wants to go and play at Fulham just because of the stadium. So it's on the western side of London. Yeah. It's sort of near Chelsea, but down by the river. Yeah. It's beautiful. It just is, a, yeah. And it does actually, mm. and sometimes you can't see it in the, in the television, it does have an actual cottage there that yeah. the players walk out of. That's why it's called <laughs> Uh, text message coming through uh, from Terry. He's in Everton Van. How is Goodison? What's Goodison Park like? Well, Goodison Park is amazing too. But the thing about Goodison Park that, that freaked me out is that the t- the grandstand is so it's tiered so uh, mm. steeply that you stand up because it's built in inside 
you know, yeah. this terrace. You feel like you're going to fall straight yeah. onto the pitch. It's an amazing place to go mm. there, but you do feel like you are, you've got vertigo going there when you go into that big grandstand on the oh, I would side. love to. I have not been to Goodison Park, but I'd love to go and see a, a Merseyside derby oh, there amazing. as distinct from Anfield because I think uh, the closeness of everything and the fact that Everton haven't had a lot of joy over the years with the, with the derbies, it would be great to see something there. John's on the road. G'day, John. We'll get to Nick in East Melbourne. G'day, Nicholas. So he's gone through. So we'll go to Michael in Perth. Hello, Michael. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. Look, I just wanted to ring you because uh, we, we get you on relay here. And so far, all I've heard is how <laughs> Melbourne City uh, didn't uh, lost the game and, and Perth Glory didn't win it. And the other thing I'll mention is surely you've got an educated group of fans over there who hear the police uh, warnings but still go to the football. You had less than 10,000 people there. I mean, yeah. that's embarrassing. Yeah, look, yep. that point, well, two things. We did mention Perth at the start and how impressed we were, but our focus naturally in yeah. the Melbourne radio station was with Melbourne Melbourne City. Uh, but it's not so much about the people who were committed to the game. It's the casual viewer that you want to win over mm. who might think about going then hear a police warning and then go, oh, not for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, going back to the Perth glory, Michael, yeah, look, we should be lauding that Perth glory. You know, Castro, Keogh, uh, Taggart, uh, even what uh, Kenny Lowe's done with Mark that Warren team. did a great job. Yeah, Dino Jewel, which yeah. I don't think I've seen a more ridiculous uh, 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 strength and, and courage of a centre-half in the A-League in all the years uh, uh, with that performance he did on the weekend. What, you know, he just threw himself in front of everything. And uh, I think going to Sydney, out of all the teams, I think this team, if Castro really turns it on, and the fact that Sydney's had a week off, I think they might be able to shock Sydney. Thanks for your call, mate. Uh, we'll come back and take a few more calls and I'll talk about victory. I want to talk about Thomas Broish as well, who we might be seeing for the last time this weekend. Carlos Alberto Diego is with us. Nick's in East Melbourne. He's been waiting, so let's have a quick chat with him. How are you, Nick? G'day, Francis and Carlos. A bit of um, family symmetry. I went uh, studied in Norwich in the mid-'80s, got to go to Carrow Road for a few games, and then um, earlier this year, my... Um, Samuel was there studying in Norwich as well, and he got to see a greatly improved stadium, but possibly a less successful team. But it was nice to have two generations visiting the club pre and post um, uh, uh, restoration. And Nick, when, did, when were you over there? Yeah, at about eighty-six. Oh, they, uh, they had a, they had wonderful teams then. They played such yeah. great football. On really poor pitches, and they were quite really well known for this. And because they they also wore the green and gold, almost the you know, it was, it was sort of yellow, green, or whatever it was. It's sort of it was just so different from every other club, and they were really well known for their great football. Hey, Nick, hold the line. We've got a double pass for you to get along to Sunday semi final, major semi final between the Melbourne Victory and the Brisbane Roar, five pm kickoff. Presented by Foxtel. You can get your tickets from aleague.com.au. But, Nick, you'll be going along courtesy of 1116 SM. Just talking about that one coming up this weekend. Victory have had the long break. Brisbane Raw went through uh, on penalties uh, the uh, Friday before. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how this one unfolds. Yeah, they were horribly outplayed in the first half against West Sydney Wanderers. And Michael Theo was just fantastic in goal. Some of the saves were some of the best saves I've seen him make as a goalkeeper in the A-League. Second half... I don't know what happened at halftime. John Aloisi just must have got stuck in him or whatever, but uh, led by Thomas Broish, who played one of his great games, uh, Brisbane just took over. Went to 
penalties, obviously. And by the way, so those penalties were so well taken. Only one missed in the end by Jumpy, and uh, and that was enough to get Brisbane through. You know, and they've got to play. They're in Thailand tonight, and they've got to travel back after this Asian Champions League game. So you'd think the travel might affect them, but they're a tough, tough team. And uh, I, I would be worried if I was a Melbourne Victory fan because I just think that they could trouble Melbourne Victory this week. Thomas Broish. Mm. Uh, to mine, I know that uh, Bessart Broish has probably been the one other player international that's come to the A-League and has been outstanding. Uh, he's the only one, I think, that, that comes close to Broish. But for me, he's the best that we've seen the imports in the A-League era. Um, they haven't offered him another contract. Mm. Does he retire? What do we... I personally, you know, if he wants to play on, he plays on. That's that's well and good. I don't yeah, want no, to see, you, you, I don't want to see Broish yeah, kicking around yeah. in a poor Newcastle Jets team. Yeah, but if I was if I was Central Coast Mariners, uh, Fayed Ben Kalfala is off contract, or they're going to let him go. Um, Thomas Broish is available. Um, there's a few others who are Karuska, these sort of guys. Imagine having a team like Central Coast Mariners for one for one year, full of these sort of aging stars, but who still are brilliant footballers. Uh, I'd love to see that, uh, Francis, from a, from a spectator's point of view. And, of course, it's romantic because you think it's going to work, but it may not. But there are some of these older guys who are towards the end of their career who you could maybe rock up the sun and the surf of uh, Central Coast. is great for the arthritis, great for the joints, for the older <laughs> blokes. So, uh, I don't know, I'd, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, but I'm not hearing Central Coast too active in that respect. Oh, how do you see Broish's contribution? In oh. this, if this is the last time yeah. we see him, this Saturday, or Sunday? Yeah. I, I, you know, we watch all the marquees and we hope they thrill us, but I think more than any other, to, any other player who's come to this country, uh, I've, I've probably been thrilled by you know, and mesmerised by Thomas Broish more than any other player. He's just so fantastic, so loved. I mean, even the crowd were just... Uh, celebrating his game and, and even before the game. I, I don't know how – I think during the game at the – was it the 22-minute mark? Yeah. Where they all stood up and, and paid tribute to him also. I don't know how you keep your mind on the game when something like that happens. I'd be crying my eyes out if I was him. But uh, they, they loved him there. And there is some talk that uh, Brisbane strikers might offer him uh, some sort of coaching role. Because he does love Brisbane. Yeah, he does. He loves being mm. there. And, mm. uh, yeah, it was always going to come to an end at some stage. We'll just wait and see what happens. But if you haven't, you know, if you haven't seen him in action, I'm telling you, get yeah. along this weekend. It's his, probably his last visit to Melbourne uh, in, an, in a Brisbane Raw shirt. And he still got it because in the second half, he led the way against West Sydney. A very good West Sydney side on the weekend too. So uh, I think he'll be up for this game too. Fab since in Auburn's. G'day, Fab. Okay, lads, uh, two stadiums. Uh, one was uh, used to have the nickname Wembley of the North, which was uh, Main Road down at Manchester, which was obviously very, very, very intimidating for the yeah. home street. Right to the, the days when Danny Allsop and Daniel <laughs> Tiardo were yeah. running in their pomp. <laughs> you know, I think they got they had the record of before uh, Wembley actually hit uh, 89,000. I think they had 88,000 for a derby match between United and City. Yep. Hence why they got the nickname uh, Wembley of the North. Yep. But one that uh, I, I really do love, and it gives me that old school feel, is uh, Craven Cottage. Yep. Full of, I love that with the old tin roof and the wooden you know, stands. It's, it's still kept that old... Uh, sort of heritage there, which is fantastic, I reckon. I think they've, from what I gather, they've renovated, but they haven't changed it too much. And uh, like I said, Adam Taggart said that he just loved, you know, he didn't play a lot of games, but he loved going there. And uh, the couple that he did play just loved playing at yeah, that stadium. there'll be a lot of heritage overlay on that stadium. Mm. Hey, Fav, hold the line. We'll also give you a couple of tickets to go along and see the victory and the roar this Sunday, 5 p.m. Uh, tickets, as I said, from aleague.com.au if you want to get along for this one. So Melbourne victory... Uh, 
If they can get through, uh, they more than likely will face Sydney FC in the mm. final, but we might be discounting Perth Glory a little bit. We've got yeah. the, the gig against the uh, the uh, Premiership plate winners on Saturday night at the football stadium in Sydney. I think if victory beat Brisbane on the weekend, a very good Brisbane who are going to really push them very, very hard, I think they're every chance of winning that grand final because it means that they're there at their best. And victory have been a bit inconsistent. Uh, you know, over the last five or six weeks. And I think if they beat Brisbane in that one-off in Melbourne, crowd right behind them, Brisha, you know, Ben Calfalar, Rojas, you know, Troisi really, you know, playing their best football, uh, I think they're going into a grand final where they're every chance. Can you see Kevin Musket starting with Rashid Mahazi in midfield playing in behind Bessar Brisha? And James Troisi, or does he need to find something else? Uh, look, I, I think you to tell you the truth, you know, he's a fix it man, but Lee Broxham, I think, uh, he's got to play in that midfield. He always does the job for them, he, you know, he rarely turns the ball over. He, uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, holds them together when things aren't going right. And uh, maybe it's a bit too much for Rashid, even though I, I like him as a footballer. But every now and again, he does get a bit inconsistent in possession. And, uh, and you just need some certainty in the middle of the park there with Carl Valeri next to him. So it's almost two number sixes with, uh, with Valeri and, and Broxham. And let, let, let the uh, attacking offensive-minded guys like Troisi and Barisha and so forth do their stuff up forward. And we got all this way without mentioning that Arsenal threw to another FA Cup final. And by the way, it's your best chance for Vinga to go. If he wins it... <laughs> Is your best chance. If you want him to go, you've got to wish that they win this FA Cup. He'll, he'll want to finish on the high. It'll be the third time in four years too, Francis. You guys, you guys have absolutely we are the mastered. The kings. We are the Bart Cummings of English football. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Just so. remember, we can't win the big one anymore. Yeah. Good on you, Carlos. Good on you, uh, Jared off the SMS reckons victory will win 2-0. 2-0 to the victory this weekend. Jab, we'll send you along. You've got two tickets coming your way thanks to uh, aleague.com.au and presented by Foxtel. That's it for us.